Today on the Creative Queso Podcast, I am keeping it local. Like down the street local, I am talking with my dear friend and neighbor, Vicki Howe. Vicki is a knitwear designer, author of countless yarn-tastic books, host of the Craftish Podcast, boss babe in charge of the Yarn Yay subscription box service, host of the Knit Show on YouTube, and the longest-running craft-themed Facebook live show, Ask Me Monday. I am exhausted listing it all. Besides being my neighbor, friend, and co-girl scout leader, Vicki and I were founding members of the Austin Craft Mafia, co-hosts of a TV program for the DIY network called Stylicious, and we even once ran a consulting firm called Craft Out Loud. Vicki Howe, like most of us in the creative industry, wears a lot of hats. Or should I say, she wears a lot of knit beanies. And you know the thing about it is, she wears them all really well. I am Jennifer Perkins, the host of Creative Queso. Every week, you can listen to a new interview with inspiring guests, all with creative careers in the arts and crafts industry. I chat about everything from how to use your iPhone to make amazing HGTV quality videos with the Crafty Lumberjacks, to empowering women in India to make recycled sari yarn with Nicole Snow of Darn Good Yarn. Remember to subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to leave a review. Those reviews really help keep me going and push me up in the ratings. So before I jump into today's interview with my guest Vicki Howe, let me tell you a funny story. What you're about to hear is actually take two of this interview. Remember the part about where I said we were friends in real life? Well, originally, the two of us drove from Austin to San Antonio to be chaperones for our kids' school field trip at the Alamo. No, we did not find a basement, but we did record a podcast on the hour drive home. The only problem is that podcast didn't actually get recorded podcast fail. Any other guest, and I would have been mortified having to retape this episode. Luckily, Vicki is not just one of my besties. She is gracious, kind, and always willing to share, and in this case, reshare her wealth of information. I can't wait for you to hear take two. I think it's even better than take one. All right, Vicki, you are one of the only people I know that wears about as many creative freelance hats as I do. You're a podcaster, an author, a designer, a speaker, host, subscription box owner, and then on top of that, a mom of three. And those are just like your titles for this week. Like next week, there could be more for all I know. Let me start with one of your oldest running gigs, Ask Me Monday. You were really kind of one of the first people to utilize the Facebook Live platform as a weekly show, kind of, you know, doing it every week at the same time, same place. So how long have you been doing that show? Well, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I started, so it has been on for a little bit longer than three and a half years. I think August will be four years. And I started, I don't know if you remember this, but coincidentally, the day that Facebook put Facebook Live up in beta for verified users only was the same day that our friend Kathy Maria was in town visiting and we were all sort of sitting in your living room talking when it came up. And so 
I think later that day or maybe the next day, I just decided on a whim to check it out. Um, I'm always interested in brand new platforms because, um, you know, that's when you can really sort of get in and and uh, don't have to worry about an algorithm, you know, blocking people and that type of thing. And so I just, I, I was after Pilates one day and it was, it, you know, I was in gym clothes, you know, in my car parked and I decided to do a little thing about, I think it was just about life balance and taking time to take care of your physical body or something like that. And I was just so impressed by, maybe impressed is the wrong word. I just really felt, I was kind of blown away by the power of immediate interaction that live video had, you know, being able to see people's comments right then and there. And also, you know, normally for a video at that time, if you just uploaded it to Facebook, you know, you might get 100 views and then it would go up and there would be a thousand and then, you know, it would take a little while and then you might get 1500 or whatever it was. But then immediately as I, you know, after I hit stop, there was already, I don't know, maybe a thousand views or 30. It was immediate. And I thought, man, this is, this is a way for me to actually reach some of my people that I don't feel like I really get to anymore. And so shortly thereafter, I decided to, um, do a little weekly thing. And I called it Ask Me Monday, which I wholeheartedly regret. Um, I let alliteration uh, went over instead of actually like scheduling prowess. So that means I have a show every Monday, which means it was such a bad idea, but, um, <laughs> but alliteration matters. And so I started then and um, I just kept going. It sort of evolved over, over time, but um I just, I still believe that it is my most, probably, probably my most important marketing tool and 100% the way that I reach the farthest, like, you know, geographically the farthest, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to have a conversation with, you know, Mary in Detroit and also Taula in Finland at the same time is just sort of a gift to someone, especially someone like me that just is a born communicator. It's just that, that to me is just like icing. And so, um, for better or worse, I haven't stopped since then. No. Yeah. I mean, you are, you are on like Sundays suck, but you better believe like Mondays you are there (laughs) making the magic happen. But you mentioned to me that you're getting ready to, after, you know, all of this time that you're getting ready to take your first break, actually your first little Facebook live vacation. Yeah, I am. I've never done, I've never gone more than two weeks. Um, I think there might've been a third week back when I was filming my show, The Knit Show, but I've I've never gone concurrently several weeks without having um, an episode. And, you know, that's great because obviously as marketers, we know that consistency is key. And the more that you put out there, the more that you're going to get back. But I have come to a point where I as usual, as we both do have 11 day jobs, but I also am at a time where I need, I just finished, or I'm in the process of finishing my next book and it comes out this fall and I need to start applying for all of the, you know, industry shows that happen in the fall to promote. So I need time to do that. I also, you know, I I would love to be able to make more episodes of my show, you know, producing television or, or video is my passion. And, there hasn't been time to write a business proposal to fund that type of thing. And Mm -hmm. then I just, I just want to be, I just want to take some time to 
I'm still ha- will obviously be working my, you know, my work plate overfloweth and I'm grateful for that, but I, it will, that will free up just the smallest amount of time for me to be creative in a way that isn't directly professional, if that makes sense. And I really mm-hmm. feel like that's a part of my well that has been a, a wee bit bone dry lately. Yeah, no, and it's you and I've talked about that before. It's important to fill that up. We were we were just discussing, you know, everybody feels this need for everything they make has to go online or has to be public or has to be for sale. And it's like sometimes you forget, like, man, sometimes I just need to I just need to craft just for me, like for no other reason. Yeah, it's funny, you know, so there's two things, obviously, just renewing your love for creativity, whatever it is, is one thing. And then specifically, and what my main gig is, is is as a knitwear designer and crochetwear designer, that it can get very technical. And sometimes I just want to take the technical aspect out of it and just follow someone else's pattern. And just, you know, and not only, not only just because it takes that you know, that focus away, um, in a, in a positive way, but also for me, it's a learning experience because every designer designs differently. There are different ways to write instructions. There are different ways to accomplish the same end. And so it's almost kind of like a, um, it's kind of like research and development for me as well. And it it ends up renewing my, you know, it's, it's really easy to get burnt out even on something that you love and being able to take a peek in the way that other people use a craft of any form and express themselves is a really great way to, to then circle back and inspire ourselves. Yeah. And, and, you know, and a lot of people don't, I mean, I'm sure they know that about you, but like, I think a lot of people probably know you from maybe the knit show or the Monday series or your books or those things. But, you know, I know you personally, and I also know you from the days when we co-hosted Stylicious and you, you do all kinds of crafts. You enjoy other crafts, you know how to do other crafts well beyond, you know, knitting and crochet. It doesn't have to involve a ball of yarn. I mean, you know, you could whip up some curtains on your sewing machine, you know, all kinds of creative stuff. So this will give you some time to do some fun stuff like that. Yeah. I've actually been doing, it's funny that you mentioned that. I've actually been doing some more sewing. I'm, I'm kind of exploring a little more of the slow fashion stuff. I mean, I'm not giving up my target clothes anytime soon, but I'm kind of trying to find that balance. Um, and I really want to learn how to make garments that fit because I've always been a sewist that really was more like what you're saying. You know, I made our curtains and I make some kids stuff and pillows, but I really want to learn how to do a little more tailoring. So um, I'm doing I'm doing that as well. And I just want to just be able to sort of take a a minute and, you know, stopping one episode of one thing is not going to free up a ton of time, but it will absolutely free up my, my weekends a little more to be with my family. And, um, that'll be good. And then when I come back, I think I'm going to, you know, finally, after all this time, move it to midweek. Um, and that means that the alliteration is gone. And so I need to, I need to start right now. I'm thinking, so in, in the knitting and crochet world, actually in any project, do you in the general craft world or jewelry world use the term work in progress or WIP? Yeah, but I think your things take so much longer, like a needle craft that you guys probably have it more in the needle craft vernacular than we do in general craft. My point you know? is, is that I was going to say work in progress Wednesday. <laughs> so, <laughs> Girl, you got to stop. Then you're going to, you got to stop with the alliteration though. I do like when I do like that. I was like, work it out Wednesday. I already was thinking of a, oh, I know. a Wednesday no, Clover, thing My daughter Clover came totally unsolicited, 
came over. This is what she, I always say that my, you know, she's not that interested in, in crafting the way that I am, but she is very interested in the creative director side of it. And she <laughs> likes to come over and slap a post-it on my desk with various things. And most recently she came like first thing in the morning with names that, that I could change um, for moving it to Wednesday. I am not giving up the alliteration. So <laughs> you should just know that going in. Alliteration is your ride or die. You're like, it will happen. <laughs> it will rhyme. <laughs> So even though you're taking a break and your numbers are still great, you know, my uh, weekly Facebook Live series recently got put on hiatus because, you know, for DIY Network, I don't know that their Facebook Live numbers were doing as well as they were in the beginning. Have you experienced any decline? And what do you think about people, you know, like tomorrow? Like, hey, I'm going to start my own Facebook Live thing. Is it still like a good viable platform for people? Oh, gosh, those are two completely different questions in my book. I, um, so for me personally, but what you and I do is, is our Facebook lives were different in that you were on a platform with a gajillion people, ready-made mm-hmm. gajillion people. Yeah. So your numbers were, you know, extraordinary. They were really great. Um, and, but you have to also answer to sort of a corporation and, um, you know, and they're, their outlook for growth is going to be different than mine. That's true. That's true. Uh, so, so for me, my numbers have actually never been better. I I have been actually pleasantly surprised uh, over the past few weeks at the direction that the numbers are. And I don't know really why that is other than the consistency and I've been, you know, sort of making sure that I'm doing the boosts that I need to do and that type of thing. So I think, but I will say that some of my other live videos that are not Ask Me Monday don't do as well as my Ask Me Mondays do. Hmm. And so I don't know if that's, I think it's probably a combination of people. I have a lot of people that that consider it like an actual show where they know they can count on it and they show up for it. And it could be content difference. I mean, who really knows? But to answer to your point of if you start it today, is it a thing? I think it really depends on what your demo is. I mean, I don't think it's a thing if you are a 27-year-old lifestyle blogger. Not necessarily. I think that maybe, you know, focusing on Instagram might be better for you. And then, you know, with a swipe up to YouTube, because the younger generation is on YouTube and Instagram. Mm-hmm. But if your demographic is like mine and can go anywhere from 27 to 77 and up, there's still room for you on Facebook. And even though we're we're experiencing these really like political, politically tumultuous times, and so people are starting to unfollow things and step away and, you know, take, you know, step away from Facebook, there's still millions and millions of people who have not done that. Mm-hmm. And so for now, it's still, there's still room for it. I, I will say this, that if you're a smaller business, if you're not an ambassador or an influencer that already has a built-in large number, but you really want, what you want is you want engagement, that loyalty and valued engagement. I still highly recommend Facebook Live, but doing it within a group, a Facebook group that you've created. Because then you know everybody who subscribes to that group, assuming that it's not a group of 10,000 people, will see it 
And then mm-hmm. you will get actual interaction and actual click-throughs to whatever you're promoting or whatever your your cause is. So there, I think the value is just as high, if not higher. And the Facebook algorithm, from what I understand of it as of today, and this could, by the time, you know, even if you hit send right now and this is automatically live, it could already change. How I understand it is that right now the algorithm is really promoting engagement, like actual engagement overall when sharing. And so within the groups, that's all groups are, are engaging with one another. Yeah, no, groups are, they do seem to be like hot and heavy and something that Facebook seems to, you know, like wax and wane on what they're in love with and like what part of their platform they're really like pushing. But it does seem like all things groups are like, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I mean, all you have to do is watch the news to know that they're, they're grappling. They're trying to figure out Mm-hmm. what direction to go in, what's going, what's viable now, what, I mean, they, they're, I think they have a lot in their plate and probably Facebook Live is way down on the totem pole. But for, bus- for business owners or, or even, you know, DIY experts or ambassadors like us, I, I think it's still a really valuable tool. It just may need to be just like everything in marketing, especially over the trajectory of yours and my career, it changes all of the time but sometimes it's incrementally and you have to be willing and conscious and available of moving that centimeter with it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I wonder too, like with the numbers and with the groups, like we, you touched on it about, you know, people, people get mad at Facebook or they get mad at the stuff that people are talking about on Facebook. So it's, you know, for me, it's always like, if I'm going through my feed, it's a breath of fresh air to see someone like say you doing your video and something like, Oh, good. Here's something like happy and fun and somebody's smiling and something like, you know, I can learn from like, I find that like with the political climate, sometimes that like, the overall, I mean, mine doesn't wax and wane really, but the overall like love of crafts and, you know, home things that you do around the house wax and wane with the political climate. And right now I wonder if that's, you know, if that's coming into play a little bit, like things are kind of like, you know, a little rough and tumble out in the world. So you're like, I want to watch smiley, happy people do crafts. That sounds, that sounds just about right. I mean, if I'm so busy, if I'm watching people in masks, lip sync songs or sing songs, like, you know what I that's mean on really, TV? That's a really solid show, though. You know, I, I really appreciate your perspective, Jen. And you and I have, you know, obviously we've been close, close friends for a decade and a half or longer. But but I really, I really appreciate often how differently you and I perceive things because it it really it teaches me a lot. And and for me, so for me, we've talked about this a lot in the past. I'm not affected by seeing a lot of political stuff per se. I get annoyed and I'll click through or I'll, you know, I'll unfollow if someone's being unkind or that kind of thing. But if there's stuff happening in the news, I'm not anxious about it or I I almost, I I love politics, so I almost consider it theater. Mm -hmm. But it it isn't until I sort of spoke, I've spoken to you on many occasions that I realized how, how, much seeing that type of stuff affects some people's lives just in general. Like they can't shake whatever Mm -hmm. it is that they're, and to that, and to your point, yeah. I mean, how can you not feel good as a professional, you know, baker, DIY expert, you know, hobbyist, whatever, just really just putting out something positive into the world. 
Yeah, it's true. Well, you know, it makes me happy. I like to click through and see your smiling face. (laughs) If nothing, if nothing else. It's true. I might be biased. Well, do you do anything with IGTV or Instagram live? Do you have any, you know, I was toying with doing like a thrift store scores video on IGTV, but I kind of feel like that platform is falling flat a little bit for me. I definitely think that IGTV has not launched with grand wings the way that Instagram thought it would. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, it, it hasn't done as well as I thought it would. It really is not the best part of, first of all, it's a completely different app. You mm-hmm. have to go out of Instagram application to access it. To me, that that already takes me out of it. That's another thing. I'm a big proponent of leaning into the social media platform where the majority of your audience or the faction that is most engaged with you is picking up another one. If you can put it on, if you can put it on the plate, but doing those very well, instead of being every single place and doing a piss poor job at all of them. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's not directly related to IGTV, but for me, until they get it integrated within the actual app, uh, the Instagram app, I think they're going to, I really believe they're going to have a hard time having it fly. It doesn't feel like an integrated experience at all. I mean, mm. you see, as a viewer, you see them pop up, but they're harder to access if you don't see them pop up. You have to go to somebody's feed to then see them. They don't really scroll the way that stories do. They will come up every once in a while, but you kind of you have to be a bit savvy to figure it out. And I don't mm-hmm. think that's what people want that are scrolling through beautiful pictures and quick stories on Instagram. However, because it is owned by Facebook and it, and Instagram is a huge platform. I don't think that it's not worth it to dabble in it. I personally would, would feel like I was starting a bit like from the ground up. And so I do very little with it. I also, it also super bugs me that you have to shoot vertically because I'm married to a filmophile. So that aspect ratio makes my eye twitch. Um, and so I tend to not use it as much. I have found that, and, and tell me if you've, I haven't used, a, I haven't used Facebook, no, I'm sorry, Instagram live a ton because I, I really, I, you know, I would just be spread too thin unless I can there. And they're really, since the majority of my audience are, is on Facebook, I tend to do it there. I do do stories a lot. I think they're a great tool. I love that you can swipe up and link through. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, doing that, doing many videos that way is still a very like viable marketing tool, but it's very different than doing a series like you're talking about. But if you, you're, you're the majority of your audience is on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So maybe give it a try. I mean, there's nothing to lose really. Yeah, I just, you know, I don't know. I just wondered if you felt like, I feel like it's kind of hard to use. It's kind of hard to find. And I do, I have noticed that they're starting to end the feed. Like, let's say you did an an IGTV video. I have noticed in the feed that it might come up with like a 15 second, like snippet from your video in the actual Instagram feed. Like, Oh, I hadn't seen that. I'd only see it come up at the header with like a little, you know, sort of like text 
it's kind of a, it's a pretty new thing in the last couple of weeks. Okay. So you know? they're working on it. And so that, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like I was saying earlier, this conversation could already be obsolete by the time that this goes live. I mean, they are working on, and I think that, I think Instagram, the company or Facebook want, want it to be a thing. Um, and so we'll see, we'll yeah. see. And, and, you know, you've made the point in, in other episodes of your podcast that, people are wanting to depart from Facebook. And, and even though Instagram tends to have a younger audience, I think that there is crossover. And if there are people that want to leave Facebook, they are starting. I've seen, I've seen the older sets starting to dabble in Instagram. Like they still want the community. They still want the inspiration. They Mm -hmm. just, you know, it's just, knowing the like craziness in every family member's life all day and then the sort of like hatefulness that that um can fly on on social media platforms sometimes just gets to be too much for people it's true yeah i know i see people of all age ranges over on instagram now too you know coming over to to that side i think they look at it more like pinterest you know like just, well, we all do like pretty pictures. There are more pretty pictures, you know, as opposed to like Instagram or Facebook might have an actual story. Yeah. Although what I found interesting is that that's starting to change. People are doing blog length posts. That's true. It is true. Now. And there has been all kinds of, you know, within my industry and within the overall craft industry, there's been several sort of, you know, rants that are happening and then also some there's been some good work I mean there's there's all people are using the tool in a way that I don't think that any of us thought that was going to happen um that has very little to do with pictures the picture Mm -hmm. is just to grab your attention kind of like old school marketing Mm -hmm. and then it's like the hashtag the political or the hashtags for like a cause that kind of started on the twitter side of things have started to trickle over into Instagram Mm -hmm. world. I've seen that as well. So the other big platform is obviously YouTube, which if anyone is familiar with Vicky, she crowdfunded her show, The Knit Show. She came, she saw, she kicked some serious YouTube butt. So are there plans for a season two of YouTube or of The Knit Show on YouTube? There are definite theoretical plans for season season two and three i'll shoot them together it's more cost effective to shoot two seasons together um like i mentioned earlier i i need to raise the capital for it and i don't have it in me to run another kickstarter campaign it was a great experience i did it i did it well and thank you and good night (laughs) i would like to yeah and and i actually have a bigger business around it that um I would like to launch that helps promote other designers and raises them up. And so I I need to work on a business plan and get it funded, but absolutely one way or the other uh, that you have not heard the last of the niche show. Yeah. I just, just recently, even in my personal Facebook group through the, through my Jennifer Perkins page, you know, people were posting and talking about like, where are the craft shows? I want, you know, I'm sick of cooking and, you know, home decorating and this and that. Like, I want my craft shows back. And it's people like, have been saying you. that for years. I mean, that's why that's why I kickstarted the niche show. People had, you know, been every day, literally every day for a decade. People asked me when was Nitty Gritty the show I used to do for DIY Network. When was it coming back? And 
I tried pitching and selling over the years to to Bravo to I mean to a bunch of and I did a PBS show, but it wasn't none of it. It either either they just straight up didn't want it because advertisers in the craft world cannot pay what advertisers in the home improvement world can. Or it just wasn't the quality or it wasn't really like the setup for the digital age. And so there was a big disconnect between what broadcasters and studios were looking for and what the people, what our people were looking for. And so that's why mm-hmm. I, that that's, I was just figured, well, I'll just DIY my own DIY show. Like I'll just do it. And I think, <laughs> I mean, I mean, why not? Um, and I think I, th- I see that tide turning, you know, NBC Universal buying Craftsy was a big, mm-hmm. was a big nod to that. And then concurrently, you know, launching, making it with Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman, that shows me that that DIY is back on the radar of major players. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the tide is turning and, you know, we'll see. But the only way to, I think, survive in this overly saturated world that we live in where we've got entertainment coming at us every second of the day is to really lean into the to that niche. So instead of doing, you know, broad shows, companies are going to be looking for these smaller pieces, you know, in crafting and hobbyists and you know it could it can be in any sort of hobby niche, but that stuff's going to matter more. The more saturated it gets, the more you you sort of have to hone in to your people. I like it. I need to, I need to like go deep on the kitsch. I mean, you've been saying that, you've been saying that for like <laughs> Unless, 20 I'm, years. <laughs> I know. And I'm not sure I could really go any deeper dive on that. Another component to your business and your you know overall brand is you have a subscription box kit called Yarn Yay that you've recently started. Now I know it started via Crate Joy, but now it's all you all the time. Correct? Correct. I, so we are about to send out our, let's see, 11th box, I believe in March or so we've been, it's not quite a year. May will be our one year. I don't know. We'll do the math later, but, (laughs) um, but they came to me, Crate Joy is a subscription box company and they, what they really are, are they are a software startup. And so they created this, the CrateJoy software, which is just the platform integration that you use for a subscription business. Cause it's a very like specific thing that you need. People have to be able to subscribe and they have to be able to choose their, like how many months and it has to auto renew and all that stuff. But they also have a marketplace size side. So very much like an Etsy. So if you have a subscription box business, you can use their platform sell in their marketplace, but you can also create a, you know, a mirror site. So it looks like it's also on your site, but they had, they, they had a branch of their business that was dedicated to developing brands or helping launch small businesses with influencers, with people that already had a built in audience. And, um, so Create Joy found me through the Knit show, um, which is just another testament to just following your passion, because even you know, even though it's been a, been a minute since we've been able to produce another or to produce a season, there have been several things like this that have come to me that would never would have if I hadn't really gone after what I wanted to 
to go for. And so they came to me and it was during a time that I had no business. I, I would have had no, it would have been irresponsible of me to start a business on my own because I was out on the road promoting the show. I was just about a month or two away from having to deliver a monster book manuscript of which I had barely worked on at all. I had, you know, multiple sort of ambassador things that I had to do, ask me Monday, that kind of thing. And so it would not have been you know, I wasn't looking to start a small business. What I was looking for and what I had kind of put out there in the universe for quite some time was that I noticed since, you know, since leaving one of the big, I had a big spokesperson gig for six years and I was really, I was an international spokesperson. So I was really involved in their products. So I was always promoting another companies or it's actually several brands under one company and sending people elsewhere. So I realized after, you know, I I left that position that I really didn't have any reason to send people to my own website. That yes, I could I had a reason for them to come. I was offering all of this great content and and patterns and project ideas and videos, but there wasn't a reason that really benefited me. And that big hole was retail. But at the same time, I didn't have the bandwidth or really even the desire to start you know, shipping a bunch of goods and managing that, that just, it wasn't really what I wanted. And I had been toying around with some kind of subscription thing. I had interviewed, um, a woman that owns, uh, MME studios, it's an embroidery, um, company. And she had this subscription thing and it was like a monthly embroidery, um, pattern, uh, subscription. And it just, it was so great because it was just a pattern and it was just in these little envelopes. And so she, all she had to do every month was just stuff these envelopes and I was like, if I could come up with something like that, or even better, something that was digital, so I didn't have to do any of that period, that would be amazing. But nothing like that really works in the knitting and crochet world. Or if it does, I haven't thought of it. And so when they came to me and said, how would you like to have your own subscription box business? We will partner up. We'll split the profits. We'll handle setting up the website, handle all the back end, handle the customer service, the non-craft related customer service, the stuff that none of us wants to deal with, like, where's my box? You overcharged my card, all of, you know, mm-hmm. all those kind of things. Um, and they would front the money for all of the product. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to try this for sure. What I got to do was I would get to curate, you know, so I get to pick all the pretty things. I didn't have to, they would have done this for me, but I took over negotiating like what the rate would be just because I had the relationships with the yarn companies already. And then I would do all of the social media marketing. So it wasn't like it was, it was not for nothing on how much time it would take. Marketing, as you know, takes more than most of the rest of your job, if that's Mm -hmm. what you're doing, but it was, it was viable and I was really interested. So we pre-launched in April of 2018 um, it's a soft launch, just trying to get people to sign up and, and pre-order. And a week after we pre-launched, CrateJoy called and said that they were closing that entire branch of the company. And so, you know, I I had a choice at that point. The choice was to either, they said they would hand over everything. They would sort of, they would over a 60 day period, they would, you know, softly (laughs) pass over everything, train me as much as they could. Uh, there was a wonderful guy that ran that department. His name is Mario Barrett. And he totally did right by me, making sure, you know, making sure that I was okay. And 
that I would get the same deals with a fulfillment company. That was the other big thing. They would handle fulfillment, which was really the kicker. You know, the, mm-hmm. uh, they used an out, they outsourced to a fulfillment company. They would negotiate with them. So I would still get the big crate joy deal, even though my numbers were way smaller. So I could either do that, but it meant taking over. It meant over the course of two months while I was writing a book and promoting a show, and you know, doing my other three jobs that I would have to learn how to run a small business, or I could walk away. And at that point, I had already had at least two hundred people sign, you know, commit to buying. And I just thought, and this was sight unseen, just my name. They didn't know what products I was going to use. They didn't know what other things were going to be in there, what the quality was going to be. Nothing. It was just based on this community I'd built, and I just felt. Like ethically, it was the wrong thing to bail. And from a brand perspective, it was it was a bad business decision to mar the brand. You know, that mm-hmm. sounds gross to say with the brand, but you know what I'm saying? Like this, no, what I, I built. And so I decided to do it. And it was rough the first couple of months, but I'm, but it was also kind of great because finally for the first time in my, you know, decade and a half long career, instead of just promoting other independent brands by, you know, posting, using my social platforms to help, you know, spread the word, I was able, I'm able to actually cash money, help people, you know, make big orders Mm -hmm. and then promote them and help, you know, lift other small businesses up. And plus I, you know, I've been able to build this really great community of subscribers in a private Facebook group. And that's really been great. It's been a great learning experience for me. And it's really helped the business stay afloat because it's big, they've the community relies on each other now. Um, and so, you know, it's it's good. It's just one of those things where I wasn't asking for it or expecting it. But for now, right now, it's really good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, no, I mean, I love seeing it. I like I often have like in my mind thought, wow, a subscription box would be so fun to do. But, you know, I barely get my Etsy orders out. So you know, it was yeah, a blessing. I mean, if you have to fulfill it, Jennifer Perkins, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Friend to friend. Bad. But honestly, me too. I mean, I'm I like I, whenever I do giveaways, I'm like, Lord, it's like two months later and people are like, I know, oh. I know. No, I mean you don't want and frankly, that's not how you and I are making more money or enriching our family's life. And that's my thing. Like if I'm not making more money or doing something that's going to enrich my time with my family, then it's time to outsource it. And yeah. so you just work that into the cost of the box. Like it actually, who knew? There yeah, is a right? business model for things. <laughs> you know, so, But I never would have learned it if it hadn't been been put into place. And I'm, it's, there's still a big learning curve and I'm still you know, racing and pushing deadlines at every turn. And and I hope to get it to a point where I'm several months, you know, projected out and I, it won't be so time intensive because it is still really time intensive, but, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, as, as you started this pod, podcast off with, it's, a, it's another hat to wear. It's another, it's another mm-hmm. way that we can, that I can still have this sort of strange creative career. Yeah. But I mean, that's what it takes. It's a bunch of different little parts to make up one big career. And like you said, the retail aspect of your, not that you haven't had your own product lines or you don't get to sell books, but that retail aspect for you personally to get to sell had been missing. So to me, it makes perfect sense for you. Back to speaking of books, you have authored and contributed to about, 
I don't know, a gazillion of them, not to mention, you know, had like your own columns and magazines. I think you even did your own magazine. I, I lose track. Um, you have a new book coming out. So is it full of knitting? You, I know it's got knitting, but I know it's got interviews. I know it's got witches. I know it's got rabbis. I know there's crystals. I know there's yoga. Uh, tell me, kind of give us a rundown on like everything that it's about. I mean, I feel like what you just did should just be the tagline. <laughs> <laughs> just I a mean, little how, bit of everything. How, how I'm going to market this book keeps me up at night. Uh, <laughs> so I, you know, I pitched a bunch of different books, um, non-knitting related books, memoirs. I've always wanted to have an audio book version, you know, and, you know, that's not necessarily what publishers want from me. They want knitting books. So I, you know, after months of going back and forth uh, with my editor, Shauna, over at Abrams, we originally did what we thought was going to be the Knit Show book, which would have been a, you know, sort of an extension, a handbook to go with the show. And it evolved into something completely different, but wonderful in a way. I, I'm I'm really excited about this book because it is different. It does, of course, I mean, knitters want stuff to knit. Um, and so there are a bunch. I think there's 24 or so knit and crochet projects in there. I did a whole section of of go-to gifts. So just quick, you know, always the mittens, always the socks, always the whatever that you're going to make. I also did some unexpected home decor things on a very large scale. And then there's a series of designers, experts and outside designers who contributed beautiful accessories. So there is absolutely an entire making section. But as you said, there's also, I wanted to do really, I love, you know me, I like to dig in and find out what people, what makes people tick at, at every turn. And um, interviewing is one of my favorite things to do. And so I really wanted there to be that aspect. So there's a whole series of interviews with both veteran, you know, designers like Kath Fassett and Erica Knight, but also sort of kind of newer exciting um, designers like Caitlin Hunter and Bristol Ivy. Um, not that the veterans aren't exciting. I didn't word that well. Just a great <laughs> sort of like, you know, holistic look or, or kind of a microcosm of, of representation of designers in, in the industry. And, you know, there, there are Q&As, there's essay style, um, you know, features on some of them. It's just sort of a bunch of that. And then I have a section on community. I really wanted to give a glimpse of the breadth and vastness of what of the type of people that make up the knitting and crochet community. So there's an interview with the founder of the Welcome Blanket Project, and there's a piece on my friend Amy Small, who has a yarn business that is based in, she started a co-op in, Indus, in India that the entire goal was to train and give work to women and then there's, you know, there's the woman that wrote Man in the Mirror with for Michael Jackson is a very accomplished knitter and crocheter. And there's Diva Zappa, who's working on a life project, knitting a mile long scarf. And there's a woman who was born with one hand who not only taught herself to knit and crochet, she just got certified in British Sign Language. And there's, you know, there's a cabaret club with that's super you know that's like super inclusive and and grounded in the lgbtq community and i just really wanted to give sort of you know just a glimpse and so there's essays and and features on that um i think probably my favorite section though or at least the section that i i believe makes this particular knitting book the most unique is called the intentions 
And it is filled with sort of all of the other. For me, I, I believe that if you're creative, however you express yourself, if you're a musician, then it's music. You know, if you're a quilter, it's through fabric, you know, and, and for us, it's, it's for, you know, my community, it's knitting and crochet. You're going to, that's going to carry over into other aspects of your life. It, it really will sort of like wrap you up in the holistic you. And so I wanted to cover sort of mind, body, and soul in this section. So there are, there's yoga and exercises for knitters and crocheters to keep us strong. There's dietary tips from a doctor of nutrition. So our bones and muscles, you know, work properly. And then there's, you know, fun stuff like knitters astrology from this great, you know, Australian astrologist, and there's crystals for creativity. And there's a Catholic uterine, excuse me, there's a Catholic Eucharist adoration ritual using knitting instead of the rosary and a rabbinical thesis written, you know, using knitting to translate uh, part of the Torah. And then there's a pagan knotting ritual for anxiety. And, and um, there's just, you know, there's a therapist talking about mindfulness of creativity. And I could go on and on and will if you don't stop me. <laughs> I'm like, man, you left no knit related stone unturned in this book. There did, is, you know, the one I was really the one, the one stone I did unfortunately leave unturned, and I just I kept putting out, you know, a couple of years ago, I was putting out all these calls. I'm looking for pagans who are knitters. I'm looking for Christians who are knitters, and I I put out a call for uh, six, and I also put out a call for Muslims. Um, who are knitters, because I wanted representation of as many cultures, spiritual cultures as I could, and I just didn't get any bites at all. So I feel a little bit of a hole there. But what I tried to, what I did try to do was just give at least a picture of sort of the holistic aspect of, of knitting and crocheting, at least. Well, it's too bad that it's not an audio book because it's like, you know, some of the essays, like you could like knit or crochet the projects in the book while the stories were being read to you. Like, you know, I wondered, be- like, I, I mean, in a perfect world, I would like Amy Poehler style, build my own VO. I mean, I guess I'm doing VO now, so I could do it now. But, you know, like have the guests read their parts. Mm-hmm. It's just a bigger, there's not that kind of budget in craft books. I know, craft I know. <laughs> Alas. Make um, it but, happen. But what I did do is a lot of the interviews that I did for the book, I, of course, recorded. And so I'll mm. turn them into probably you know, podcast extras and there will, there will definitely be an audio aspect to this book. I just, yeah, I just haven't figured it out yet. I believe in you. You of all people will work it out. Speaking of interviews. So now hold on before I jump ahead, tell me when the book comes out. Oh, October 2nd. October 2nd. And is it available for pre-order yet? It is not. We are just now finalizing the cover. So, um, I'm, I'm guessing that it'll probably be May before it's up for pre-sale. Okay, well, I'll let everybody know when that happens. But speaking of interviews, you also have a podcast, you just mentioned it a second ago, called Craftish, that also comes out every Thursday. Even if you have never picked up a knitting needle or a crochet hook, you have all kinds of creative guests, so it appeals to kind of everybody. Um, I know it's kind of an interview format, just like mine, but I'm curious who would be your dream guest for Craftish. Mine would be Jen Sincero, who you have had on, or Elizabeth Gilbert or Andy J. Pizza. So who are some of your dream guests? Well, so first of all, I just want to say that my my podcast is not a knitting and crochet podcast. It is it Oh is, no, no, that's what I'm saying. It's for everybody. It is the like for me, I'm fascinated by stories 
of creative people. I think that we're the only, can you call creativity an industry? I'm going to. Um, We're the only (laughs) industry where there is no clear path. It's not like you're an accountant and you go to school for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have friends within our same circle that have masters in fine arts and also others that have their GEDs. And I'm fascinated with how, how we all end up in the same, you know, sort of swimming in the same pond. And that's really what this podcast, my podcast is about is just finding out what people's journeys are, um, creative mm-hmm. journeys are. But um, I did, I did have Jen Sincero. That's that, that was actually a really, a really great episode. I loved that. Um, I really loved what she had to say. I mean, I'm going to have to go Terry Gross. Oh, that, that's a good one. I mean, she is like, I, I try to channel her every time I talk to, every time I interview someone. I'm just so, I'm always so impressed with um, her ability to be both a really sort of adept interviewer, but also really, she seems, she feels very approachable. She has a, mm-hmm. she has a gift for making any subject seem like a conversation you'd have over coffee. No, she does. She definitely does. And you do too. I feel that way when I listen to your podcast. Oh, thanks, fam. And it's not just because I know you and I like you and you carpool with my kids. <laughs> but I do thanks. feel that way. But that does, you know, sometimes you hear people interview and you're just like, not that they seem standoffish, but it doesn't seem relatable. But, you know, I think that's an important job when you're interviewing people. And you've always been good at that as a host of TV and as a host on your podcast, good at making, making yourself and people in the topic seem relatable. Thanks. I think, I think for me, I, I'm probably one of the, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm not any different than anybody else in our industry, but for me, getting a break, getting on a knitting show, I had only just barely learned how to knit when I got on that show, like maybe a year before that I'd been crafting since I was old enough to hold a glue stick in my hand, but every other craft besides that. And so, but I had, I had a television production background. You know, my brief stint in college was TV, radio, and film. I had internships for television shows. I had jobs at major agencies. That's, I always wanted to produce television. I was always a communicator. So when I got, and then crafting and creativity was just, you know, part of the fiber of my being. So when I, in a total fluke, got the gig doing that, for me, crafting was just the conduit for me finally to be able to, to communicate. So that, that's Mm -hmm. what I try and do. I mean, that's really, um, yeah, I, I'm a knitwear designer, but really I want to talk to people about it, (laughs) about their stuff, you know? No, you, and like, you've always been that way. You know, we were in a a group together called the Austin Craft Mafia, and then we co-hosted Stylicious. And like you said, you had nitty gritty and then you've had you know your book that you're about to come out and you were in a stitch a bitch group and then you had your book craft core and your podcast all of this always tends to come back to community for me when I think of you like that's always such an important thing to you why do you think why does community resonate with you so much like any any deep thoughts I mean probably because like I said I am sort of a communicator at 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 the core. And so that works a lot better, not being alone in a room by myself. (laughs) But also I think that for me, me personally, I feel best when I'm putting something positive out there and helping other people have little bright spots in their day. And that can be anything from just giving somebody a little win by them being, figuring out how to do a stitch, or it can be something bigger, like helping a 
fellow creative type rise up, get a book deal, learn how to kickstart a project, you know, be better on video, whatever it is, I feel better nurturing in that mm-hmm. way. And that just is inherent to, to community. And, and also our particular industry, the crafting industry would be nothing without community. We stand on the ground that was built by community. So for me, it's sort of like a, it, it's all encompassing. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the early episodes I did were with um, this couple from Corpus Christi that have a podcast called So Taco. And we were talking about kind of helping each other out or mentors. And I think a lot of the people, I mean, you and I are old school, but a lot of the people that I know that have had a sustaining career within this industry are the people that look at it that way. The people that have like always been gracious and helpful. And, you know, I don't know, I think there's like some karma involved there for the people that help everybody else out. You know, those are the people that like have this long, this longevity within this career, you know, what comes around goes around when you're gracious and help people and, you know, and spread the crafty joy. I wonder if that has anything to do though with how we started, because when we started, we weren't inundated by social media. We were, I was, it's funny. I I interviewed, um, our friend Susan Beal, um, earlier today for my podcast. And we were talking about, uh, Portland super crafty and Austin craft mafia. And we were talking about swapping postcards, Mm -hmm. you know, to put into each other's orders and sharing ads and best magazine. And really being sort of like a, like a, like a girl team for marketing, you know? Um, and as part of that, we were also, you know, there were very few craft sites on the interwebs when we started. And so we really needed each other. And so it it behooved all of us Mm -hmm. to be there for each other. And I feel like that laid a platform for how we approach, or at least it did for me, how I approached every colleague and every sort of other creative person that I, that I came across from then on, because for me, it was like, that's how we, we helped each other rise. It was like, it's like a, you know, if you picture holding your two hands together and hoisting someone up with, with their foot in your hands, and then the next person goes up and up and up and up, that's Mm -hmm. how it was like for us. And I, I wonder if it's as easy to be that way now when instead of you know, swapping links and talking to each other and physically like sharing postcards when you're just being inundated with all of these beautiful pictures. And I wonder if you can, if you were just starting out now, if you'd be able to get past that and really just really get down to it. Kindness really does matter. And it's also a smart business strategy. Exactly. No, but that is a valid point. I mean, when we got started, there wasn't, that was how you marketed you know, is like yeah. via, via community. And now you can be totally like your own little Island, I guess, if you wanted to, you don't, you don't see as much interaction between brands as you did with say Portland super crafty or the Austin craft mafia. Interesting theories. Now, speaking of community, are you, I know you have, you have a Facebook group for your subscription box. Do you have one for just Vicki How? You don't, do you? I mean, there might be one that I started, but I never did anything with it. <laughs> but <laughs> you're running, running on empty. No, no. But what I am doing um, is I am hosting the very first South by Southwest sanctioned, so sponsored knitting event, which is kind of a big deal because knitting is always like the redheaded stepchild of creativity, <laughs> like, you know, so, so 
you know, to be a part of, you know, I've, you and I have worked for South by Southwest for years, but it's never been for me. It's, it's always been, you know, mentoring for social media or, Mm -hmm. or that type of thing. This is straight up. They came to me to host the knitting meetup, a straight up knitting. And that to me just helps elevate the value of it as a craft. So if people are coming to South by Southwest in March, please look up the knitting meetup. I'm also hosting the authors meetup. So, and that's cross genre, any, any genre of author, um, it'll just be a networking event. So those are the main ways people can hang right now. That's true. Yes. And I'd love them both. So, but you're not on like Ravelry or any of those kind of crafty hangouts. I am on Ravelry in the sense that I have a Ravelry shop and I have a presence there, but I am not on all of the boards there. I just, you know, as you started, you started it laying it out, three kids and 110 jobs. I, just, I had to choose, oh, I know. you know, and, and, you know, I, the most of my following is on other social media platforms. And so, and, and that's not necessarily for any other reason, but I've put the time in there and mm-hmm. probably because I do more than knitting and crochet. So I needed to have a general, so I'm, I'm, I'm there, but not on the boards. Got it. Well, you're, you're everywhere else in America. And if people want to hang out, they can find you, you know, you can tell by that babbling answer that I ha- always have guilt for not. <laughs> and you can't, my Lord, you can't be everywhere. You can't be everywhere like, all the time, Vicky. Oh I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, why did I just ramble on? No, I am not. You <laughs> and the answer is no, and I don't feel guilty about it. That's what you say. Rub a crystal about it. You're fine. Oh you don't, well, you don't need mean, another thing. You know, we as women, I think, believe that we have to be everything for everyone, and, and I am no different. I know. We do. It's true. You want to, like, mommy everybody, even, like, people you barely know on the internet. So last but not least, we've covered all the bases, but we have to go down the queso rabbit hole. So mm. you're from California, but you, you've you lived in Austin well long enough to love the queso. So if someone was coming to South by Southwest and before they went to your knitting meetup, mm-hmm. where do you like to go for queso? Are you a home batch kind of gal? I, we, we do make the queso every once in a while. I married a Texan. You're right. Californians and Californians and queso aren't really a thing um, because we don't Although do Although it does, it does alliterate well. Oh my God. Californians and queso. What can we do with that? <laughs> a sidebar that. <laughs> See, it, that one just rolled off the tongue. Um, so I'm going to have to go. There's two places that I personally would send people to. First of all, I love me the mag mud at Magnolia because it is, there's a layer of black beans and then they put the, they put like a queso blanca and then they put pico de gallo on top of that. So there's layers and depth and crunch. And protein, extra protein. Yes, that too. (laughs) (laughs) The second place that I, that I really enjoy, it's not. The second place I really enjoy, but mostly because I just like the vibe there, is we have this great um, movie theater that's also a dinner theater called Alamo Draft House, um, and now they have them all over the country. But and they have a queso that you can. I'm vegetarian, and they actually offer soy riso that can be poured into it. And for me, that's salty plus salty on a salty chip. That's good. <laughs> salty, stuff. salty all the time. Salty. Yeah, yeah. I like oh, it. It it sounds delicious. So those are my picks. Okay, well, good to know. So if you come to Austin, everybody, you know where Did to find Vicky. Did you just pull Vicky. out a Spanish word? 
What did I say? Did you just say delicioso? I, I mean, I'm not even sure that's really how you say delicious in Spanish. It actually is. And you know that okay. because you used to watch Dora the Explorer. With it's true. I mean, and I took it. I mean, I'm a born and raised Texan, so I took it all through high school and college. So you uh. would think I would know. Es, es muy delicioso queso at uh, the well, Alamo now you're just showing and off. Magnolia. I know. That's it. There it is. That's the end of my talent. Vicky, thank you for hanging out with me. I appreciate it my greatly. Pleasure, as I know. I feel like we're just, you know, doing one of our usual little power walks and talking about business. Except now we're, you know, on the less, phone. Less exercise. Let's let's power walk soon. Yes, let's do it. Is there anything Vicky can't do within the craft industry? Be sure to find her at VickiHow.com. Check out The Knit Show on YouTube, subscribe to Craftish on iTunes, and keep an eye on Amazon to pre-order her new book, The Knit Vibe. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you're enjoying these interviews as much as I am. Who else would you love to hear me talk with? Give me a shout out on Instagram, at Creative Queso, or email me with your suggestions at Jen, J-E-N, at creativequeso.com. Thank you again to my guest, Vicki Howe, my producer, Mariah Gossett, and my music man, Chris Beck. I'm your host, Jennifer Perkins, and I hope now that you're hungry for queso and feeling inspired. <laughs>